Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn, that means they went to live somewhere else, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in uh, Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. That's, that's what Oprah's name was supposed to be. They misspelled it, Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Killian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, in our text, the first words we find are these, in the days when the judges ruled. That period known as the time of the judges was the time in Israel's history after the death of Joshua. Remember, he had Moses, took him to the border of the promised land because it took 40 years of wandering. And then he, uh, Joshua took over. The Spirit of God came on Joshua. He led them over. They began to do some conquering and conquest, uh, uh, repossessing that which belonged to them that God had given them. And, um, and then, uh, uh, so they served the Lord during the days of Joshua. They served the Lord during the days of the leaders that saw all the things that God had done. And that time between Joshua and the first king, Saul, that was to come up some a couple hundred years later, was called the time of the judges. Now, the one phrase that aptly described this phase in Israel's history is found several times in the book of Judges, and one in particular, Judges 21-25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? I want to tell you something. It's very characteristic of the day that we live in. Everyone does what is right in their eyes. But you know, I love... Dad, forgive me, he's in heaven. I don't think he was worried about it. Um, my dad would eat according to what was right in his eyes. My dad was a diabetic. When he wanted a donut, it was okay to have a donut. When he wanted something sweet, it was okay. When he wanted orange juice, it was okay to have that. He wasn't trying to do something wrong. He was trying to do something that was right in his own eyes. And the world today is very similar. People are trying to do what is right in their own eyes, but not necessarily what is right in the eyes of God. And see, that's the difference. It's one thing to do what is right in your own eyes. It's another thing to do what is right in the eyes of God. How do we know what is right in the eyes of God? Well, that's why I believe that this is the Word of God. And the Word of God doesn't change. 
there are some people today that believe the Word of God evolves, and it is evolving, and there are truths in there, but God didn't know things that were going to happen today, and so therefore, love and what love is and how it's expressed is evolving, but see, you already believe the lie because you believe that as people, we are evolving instead of believing what the Bible says, that we were created in the image and the likeness of God, and we're not going up, we've gone down because we left that place. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is fallen short of the glory that we had originally when we were created in the image and the likeness of God. More than likely, Adam and Eve will be uh, forever smarter than any of us could ever be because they walked in the fullness of the glory of God. And as smart as we are today, we don't probably compare an inkling to the first man and the first woman, and they were created because they weren't tainted by sin. Are you understand what I'm saying? So what we need to realize is that we do what is right in the eyes of God, uh, but the land today, as at this particular time, and what we often do today is not what's right in the eyes of God. We do what's right in our own eyes, but what is right in our own eyes changes depending upon what we want or how we want things to come about. Amen? So, that being said, first point we want to look at is I have entitled, Leaving the Land of Promise, Ruth 1, 1 through 7. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A famine means they were struggling with food, right? Now, today, we don't so much see famine in our land what we often see, though, is an inability to be able to access the food that is there because we don't have enough money or we don't make enough money or we don't have a job. And so you could be, as a person, during a, at a time of famine, even though there's food everywhere. When there was that time of famine, these, this family decided they were going to leave Judah and go to the country of Moab. So what we find happening is the family moves from the land of Canaan to the land of Moab. The catalyst for their moving was they were going through a time of famine. Ironically, they were leaving the city of Bethlehem, the house of bread, in the land of Canaan. What was the land of Canaan? It was the land of promise. It was the land of Israel's inheritance from God. It was their divine destiny. Yet even in this place, things did not always go the way people wanted or the way people liked. It's kind of like marriage. As beautiful as marriage is, if you've been married for a while, you may come to the conclusion and realize that it doesn't always go the way you want. Right? But the answer is not to go to Moab. The answer is not to leave. The answer is to trust God in the middle of your circumstances. See, there were good times and there were bad times. As a Christian, there are going to be good times and there are going to be difficult times. But it doesn't mean that God has left you. It doesn't mean that you can't access provision for your life. It doesn't mean that you've got to leave God and go make your own way. Doesn't mean that at all. But that's how this family 
that's what this family did. It seems that we catch this family during one of those difficult seasons of life. Everybody remember when Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 through 25, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then it goes on, and this is what I want to bring out. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew. I want you to know that as a Christian, sometimes the rains are going to come. Listen, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Christian. I love God. Uh, you know that. I'm trying to live for God. And yet my neighborhood, when it flooded, there were people in my neighborhood whose house didn't flood, but mine did. Why? Did I do something wrong? Did I fall out of grace with God? No. Sometimes things just happen. And we want it always to happen to other people. But sometimes it happens to us, right? So what do you do? You've got to learn how to walk with God and believe God, not just when things are going good, but when the winds come and the floods come and the, and the rain falls. You've got to be founded on the rock, and the rock is Jesus. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. you got pom-poms. Yay, I'm walking through the valley. Is that what? No means even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Sometimes you go through difficult times as a Christian. But God doesn't abandon you, but what often happens is we abandon God. Is that too harsh? I'm sorry, Daniel. I, I guess your anointing is still resting up here. Uh, <laughs> I've been known to say I'd rather be in the desert underneath the cloud than in a palace where the cloud is not present. Think about it. This is a Christmas season. I'd rather be at the barn where there's dirty, stinky animals and stuff. Is that true? Right? There's no Febreze out there in the barns unless you put it there. And if there is, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. I'd rather be out there with Jesus than in the palace with Herod where there is no Jesus. The imperative in life is not your surroundings, but the person who makes the surroundings, and that's God. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things that you're concerned about, all these things that you're worried about, they will be added to you. So, that being said, what we find is the Israelites, all the Israelites were going through a difficult time. They were going through a time of famine. A time of famine, as I said before, doesn't necessarily mean there was no food at all, but there was a scarcity of food. In other words, there was not an abundance of food. Uh, for, I love the Christmas story. I haven't watched it yet, but I recorded it because I'm going to go back and watch it, you know. You have a guy that has all this money, and he's eating like just a little thing of porridge, and then you have Bob Cratchit, who's the other side, and they're eating hardly, uh, you know, they, they just whatever they can, they're eating it, but there's a lot of joy in the house, right? So, um, you know, they didn't have an abundance of food, but they had an abundance of God. But anyway, in Judges 6... 
we find there were times when the land would produce, but the enemy would come and rob them of all that the land was producing. So it's not necessarily that there wasn't no food. We don't know in particular, but for them, there was a scarcity of food. It was a rocky season for sure, but that didn't necessitate leaving the land of promise. Did you notice that while this family is depicted as leaving, we don't hear of anybody else leaving? If you read between the lines, what I believe is most of the people stayed and trusted God to get them through. But we're not focusing on those people today. We're focusing on Naomi. And unfortunately, her family chose to leave the land of promise. And that's the second point we're going to look at. Leaving the God of promise. You see, when you leave the land of promise, you're also, at this particular time, leaving the God of promise. Ruth 1, 2 through 5. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. They lived about 10 years, and then they died, and so the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. See, this family wasn't happy with the situation, so they left their inheritance and went into the land of Moab. What you don't realize is to get to the land of Moab, the family would have to move eastward, and cross over the Jordan River that the Israelites crossed into to get into the promised land. So they were going backwards. And the thing is, any time in the Bible that it depicts somebody is going eastward, that is a, a, a type of going away from the presence of God. For instance, in Genesis 3.24, whenever Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, they, they, uh, uh, the Bible says he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So which way did they leave? East, right? In Genesis 4.16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What, what you're going to find is when they made the tabernacle, they, they put the opening of the tabernacle to the east. Why? Because that's the way sinful man had left. East is always the way a, a, a metaphor in the Bible depicted as leaving the presence of God. Now, you've got to remember with me, the Bible presents to us in its pages commentary and documentary. Have you ever, do you know the difference? A documentary is just you're showing pictures of stuff, but it's not telling you what to think about it. Right? A commentary is it's showing you stuff and it's telling you what to think about it. The Bible has both. Sometimes in its pages it tells you things and it tells you how God feels about it. But sometimes it just shows you things and it doesn't offer up anything and it's up to us to rightly divide the word of truth. It's up to us to interpret the happenings that are taking place in a way that is consistent with God and God's nature. So we're then left to determine when they left, was God sanctioning their leaving uh, um, the land of promise to go to Moab? My contention is no. It's not something that God told them to do. It's just something that they did. Now listen, I, I don't know about you, but if I watch too much, uh, one particular show is called House Hunters International. 
I love, I love the idea of travel. I've traveled a lot. I like going different places. It's just awesome. When I watch this show, I'm ready to go. Let's go to Mexico. Let's go, let's go to Portugal. Let's go, let's go to Greece. I'm re- and we'll, we'll buy a house there, whatever the case may be. But, you know, for that particular moment, I'm not thinking biblically. I'm just letting myself go. And then all of a sudden, I restrain myself and I said, no, that's not how I live. That's not what I'm uh, allowed to do. Now, I can do whatever I want. And when I say I'm not allowed to do, it doesn't mean that God makes me or forces me. But God has assigned me something to do in life. He's assigned me a task, he's assigned me a duty, he's assigned me a a mission and a commission, and I choose to carry it out. So in order to fulfill that assignment, I can't go do whatever I want. I've got to stay in the place that God has assigned for me. If you go back and read in the book of Acts, Paul will often say, he said, I have a heart for the Jews. I want to go to the Jews, but I can't go to the Jews because God sent me to the Gentiles. So sometimes we say, well, you know, God will always take you where you want to go. No, that's not true. He's not called to give us our desires. Our desires are called to conform to our destiny. What is our destiny in life? I never thought it was going to be Lake Jackson. But I'm happy to be where the cloud for my life is. Right? And so sometimes people just say, hey, man, let's go. Let's leave. I'm not happy. Let's go try something else. And they don't pray. And they don't ask God. Because they live the Christian life like this. Whatever I do, God is with me. Well, in one sense, God doesn't abandon you. But the reality is, it's not that God isn't with you. It's that you're not with God. You see, who leads? That's really the question. Jesus said, he that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. In the Old Testament, it was like this. Whenever the the, the cloud by day and the fire by night would move, the Israelites were supposed to move. When it stayed, the Israelites were supposed to stay. If 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 it moved somewhere and you set up camp and it moved the next day, guess what? You're taking up camp and you're following after the cloud. If it didn't move for 10 years, you stayed where you were for 10 years. But what we learn from that is he doesn't follow me. I am supposed to learn how to follow him. So anyway, my contention is they didn't do this at the leading of God. They just did it because they thought it was a good idea. How many good ideas have we gone after that we found out too late it wasn't a God idea? The the enemy of, of God is easily found in what's bad. But the enemy of God's desire and purpose for our life is not easily discerned in what is good. What do I mean by that? Well, we're not easily swayed as Christians by what we know to be wrong. But we can be swayed by something that looks good. But do you remember the tree that the Israelites were told not to eat from? What was it called? The tree of the knowledge of evil? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did the fruit on that tree, was it good? Yes, of course it was good, but it wasn't God. There is a good that is not God. When we start determining 
what is good for our life and refuse to let God determine what is good for our life, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, we find ourselves in a place that we should never be. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. Okay, so it's my contention that when they left Canaan, God wasn't with them. I can't totally prove that to you this morning. I have some good ideas. One of them is this. Her son and her two, I mean, her, her husband and her two sons died in the land of Moab. Not good. By the way, her husband's name was Elimelech. You know what Elimelech means? It means God is king. If God is king, then I should be following after God. But if God is not king... I do whatever I want, even as Christians. You see, we expect the world to do whatever they want, but we don't expect Christians to do whatever they want. But I'll be honest with you, I've been a pastor for a long time, and Christians do whatever they want. What we want you to want is what God wants for your life. He never takes away free will. But we hope that we get to a place where we realize when we do what God wants, it always works out better for us. Doesn't mean that we don't go through rains and floods and all this kind of things, but in the end, it always works out better for us to be under the cloud, to be under the shadow of his wings. So anyway, they just had a powwow, I believe, the family, and they wanted to find relief from the famine. So in Moab, the family had bread. So they went to Moab. It's kind of like people say, hey, I got another job over here. I'm going to take this job. Why? It pays a little bit better. And, and I will counsel people sometimes when they do that. Uh, um, and, they'll say, and I'll say, that's fine if it pays more, but is it the will of God for your life? Because what happens if you take this job and then you get down there and one, you're miserable. Two, you can't find a church to go to. Three, the company shuts down. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. So what you did is you left for what looked good in the short term, but you didn't really go and finding the peace of God about it. You just don't know what the future holds. But God holds the future in his hand. So the most important thing is to do what God wants you to do. Follow after the presence of God. I'm just thought ran into my mind, but I was thinking about this the other day. In just natural terms, when people go looking for a church, they almost always look for a church that has everything they want. So if I go to this church and it doesn't have what I want, then I leave that church and go somewhere else that has something that I want. Never crosses their mind that maybe God put him there to start something. Or God put him there to teach them something. You see, we just think, well, it doesn't have what I want. It's not everything. And that's okay when it comes to buying your food, but it's not okay when it comes to doing the will of God. Now, I'm not saying God can't work with you. God works with us despite us sometimes, but I don't want to learn. I don't want God to work with me despite me. I want God to work with me by leading me. I actually was healed and, and freed of some stuff because I stayed here against my wishes. And because I stayed here, God used the people here, used y'all to heal some things in my life that I needed healing from. I didn't want to be here. I wanted to go somewhere else. But guess what? I could have been somewhere else and still battling the same demons that that God freed me from. 
So the important thing is to be where God wants you to be. I've been hitting that point pretty hard, but let's see if we can move forward. So anyway, and they went down to Moab. In Moab, the family had bread, but the consequences of their decisions led to what in the end can be stated in one word, death. Husbands were dead. Sons were dead. In the end, things actually got so bad for Naomi, whose name actually means happy or pleasant, that she no longer wanted to identify with that. How many people go do things because they want to be happy? I'm leaving my marriage. Why? I'm not happy. So I'm going to go somewhere else where someone can make me happy. And then you interview them somewhere down the road, and they're worse off than they were before they left. Because happiness is not a product of your circumstances. Happiness is a product of this, and when this is in right relationship with God, even if you're not happy, you can find purpose and meaning in it, and the purpose and meaning walking out with God will in the end bring joy to your life. You see, much of that is based on self-centeredness, self-interest, what I want, what I want, what I want at the expense of everybody else. I want happiness. I don't care what it does to my family. I want happiness. I don't care what it does to my husband. I don't care what it does to my kids. I don't care what it does to my friends. I don't care. I want to be happy. And instead of you being happy, everybody else is miserable, and you're miserable because of the decision you made trying to be happy. And what happened with Naomi, her name actually means happy or pleasantness, is when she came back, she said, I don't identify with that anymore. Or really, what are your pronouns? What do you identify with? He said, call me Mara. What does Mara mean? Bitter. That's who I am. I'm bitter. Because in her mind, she had some bad theology. Bad understanding. See, the enemy was right there to convince her that God did this to her. The Lord did all these things to her in her mind. He said, how do you know that? Because in Ruth 1, 20 through 21, it says, She said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. Did he? doesn't really matter. It's what she believed. Again, we're not, this isn't commentary. This is documentary. This is somebody putting a mic in her face and saying, what do you believe about that? Not whether what she believes is right or not. It's just what she believed. I will say to the Lord, okay, no, uh, I, I went and brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, happy or pleasant, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? That's what she believes. The truth is, it wasn't God that did this to this family. Instead, it was their, depart, their departure from the land and ultimately their departure from the Lord that put them in position to be overcome by the enemy. Psalms 91, 1 through 2 says, He who dwells in the shelter or underneath the wings of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, My refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. The Bible teaches us that the Lord is good. Psalms 34 and 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge or the woman who takes refuge in him. How many people are there that the enemy has convinced that God brought about their circumstances in life, yet it wasn't God at all, but their belief that on the other side, in the world outside, a world apart from God, there was a better life that would and could provide them with all they wanted in life. It's kind of like there's an enemy that's so good at his job 
that he brings harm and destruction, steal, kill, and destroy into your life and convinces you that God did it. He's like the very first politician. Corrupt, steals, kills, takes everything from you and convinces you that it was the other party that did it. <laughs> Isn't really that the same lie that they told Eve and sold Eve on? Genesis 3, 4 through 7, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, don't trust God. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. What he's really saying is, trust me. I'm trying to help you. That's what the devil does. I know things that God, he's not good. He's trying to keep from you. I can give you these things if you'll just listen to me. And people do it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And, and loincloths and, and bottom line is when God came into the garden, they ran from God. Now, was it God that did this to them? No. It was their act of violating God's instructions that led to facing the consequences of their own choices. Separation from God, separation from His promises. Wow, Pastor, this is Christmas. Well, I have another point to go. Returning home, Ruth 1, 6-7. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. The good news is, no matter how bad things had gotten, there was still a light inside of Naomi that caused her to go back home to the land of promise, to the land of her God. I was reading an account of a guy in uh, John G. Lake. I was reading his book again this morning. It was an account of a, of a, of a, of a kid that was just absolutely a, a problem child. Got in trouble all the time. Family, good Christian people praying for their son all the time. They, the, this was a long time ago, but the cops would come and say, hey, uh, your son Charlie, he got in a lot of trouble. It's going to take this much money to get him out. It was constantly parents praying for him. Hey, your son Charlie, he did this. It's going to take this to get him out. Constantly praying for him, praying for him. Hey, please come. And so they would keep helping him. And one day the Lord said, hey, how, how, how is your son doing? Not so good. He said, why don't you let me do it? And, and they said, okay. And so the next time the policemen came, they said, they said to the man, your son Charlie and the woman, your son Charlie did this. And she, they said, we have no son. You see, they had been acting as if they were the ones that were his provider and stuff like that. And God said, no, turn him over to me. And he said, I have no son. And so this went on. They came back. And, hey, your son Charlie did this. They said, we have no son. And went on for nine months. In fact, a few months later, the policeman came and said, Your son Charlie is dead. He jumped off a bridge. We want permission to drag the river and so we can find his body. And they say, We have no son. But they were praying the whole time. It turned out it wasn't his son Charlie. 
About nine months later, the man was in the house, uh, in his office, and someone came and said, there's a man outside that would like to see you. And he came in, and he was dressed. He was, uh, you know, because he'd been on drugs and all that, but he was dressed in his right mind. He was doing well. He comes in. He falls before his father, uh, uh, bows to him, and says, please forgive me, Dad. I've not been doing right. He said, but about three months ago, I got saved. And I didn't want to come uh, uh, until I knew that this... This, that, that, that God had really done a work in my life, and I want to come and ask your forgiveness. But it didn't happen until they let Charlie go and let God take care of it. Are you hear what I'm saying? I don't know how I got off on that. Huh? But sometimes you got to let go and let God. Okay, so the good thing was uh, for Naomi is that uh, okay, that's how I, there was still a light inside of her. How many people have gone on and, and they're living in darkness, but how many testimonies do we have of mother or dad praying for them, bowing their knees, and they can't do anything for them, but sometime later in life, all of a sudden, it, God intervenes in their life. They remember when they used to go to Sunday school. They remember what they were taught in children's church. They remember what they heard in church, even though they pretend, I don't want that, I don't want God brings it to remembrance. And they said, I'm, I'm ready. I'm broken. I need that in my life. You see, sometimes you can't really control a horse until it's broken. What does it mean? Submitted to the will of the master. And see, the, so we're, some of us are just so stubborn and prideful that we think we know the way and we're not going to let anybody tell us what to do, not realizing that you're never going to break God. But circumstances in life, he will allow them to get you to a place where all of a sudden God, who didn't look like such a good idea before, now looks like the best thing, on, uh, you know, best thing out there. And I want to tell you, we all get there. Because I don't know how it's going to get there. I don't know how you don't have to go through drugs. You don't have to go through all these. You don't have to do all that. But the reality is we all have to come to a place where we look up. And when we look up, we see God. And we submit to God. And when we submit to God, we think that when we submit to God, things are going to go worse. But what we don't realize is because we were designed to be yoked together with God, things don't go worse. Things go better. It's like the kite that somehow it's flying high. And if it had a mind of its own, somehow it's convinced that if it could just let go of this string, it could fly higher than it ever could. Oh, if I could just get rid of this tie, this string, it's keeping me connected to the ground this stupid string if I could just cut it and all of a sudden the string is cut and what happens to the to the kite you see the kite could not soar until it was tied to what it was created to be tied to and as people of God we can't really become all that we're supposed to be without our tie uh, into God well anyway she she heard there was food back home. There was still a light inside of Naomi that caused her to go back to the land of promise, to the land of her God. Now, she didn't go back whole. See, a lot of people think that, well, I got to get right before I go back. No. You just got to start making your way back home. She didn't come back home, but she came back. And what we find is that over time, God made her whole once again. He made her whole, I'm not going to read the scripture, but in Ruth 2.19, by providing for her. He made her whole by giving her back her inheritance, by giving her not only her inheritance, but giving her an heir, a future, 
a future grandchild that she could look in the eyes and realize in one day, we know, she didn't know, but we know that God was so good to her, the child that was born to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, would become the grandfather of the next king of Israel, David. This restoration story reminds me of a New Testament story found in the book of Luke, and I'm almost done. Luke 15, 18 through 24, there was a man known as the prodigal. Took his father's inheritance and said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy my life. That's the lie that a lot of people believe. That we can just get away from our upbringing, get away from our religious parents, get away from everything that ties us. We can get out there and really have enjoyment and freedom and fun in life. Instead, what he found is that he was actually uh, attending to what, for Jewish people, was the dregs of, of the worst you could be taking care of pigs. And it was so bad, he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And he couldn't do that because he was taking care of them. And he says, he comes to himself, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. See, there was a, still a light inside. He said to himself, well, I may not be able to go home and be like I was his son, but at least I'll go back and I'll be like one of the servants. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and kissed him. And I I perceive in my mind that he was coming from the east. And he was coming back home. And the father who positioned his doorway facing east was there with his arms wide open every day coming out to see if his son was coming home today. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now let me wrap this all up. Going back to Naomi. After all that happened to her, somehow Naomi heard the good news that there was bread in the land of Israel. And upon hearing, she made up her mind to go home. I want you to know during this Christmas season, you you thought I forgot it was Christmas. There's also provision in the house of God you. Did you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread? Maybe like Naomi, for whatever reason, you left the land of promise. You left God. You may not have left physically, but maybe mentally, emotionally, your heart checked out. You left the church. You left your spiritual heritage behind to find something that seemed better to you out in the world. But what you found is that instead of meeting your needs, instead it stripped you of your dignity. It stripped you of your morality, and it left you wanting and bitter. John six forty seven through 51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. There is bread again in the house of God. Jesus is the bread of life. Perhaps you find yourself in a situation that reminds you of Naomi in her predicament. I want you to know today that God is visiting his people once again. I want you to hear the call of God to come back home. I want that light within you to guide you back to a God who's waiting for you to come home to embrace you and to clothe you and to set you at his right hand. Like the prodigal, you don't have to be completely well and whole to come back. You just need to hear the Father's call and let our loving and merciful God begin his work of reconciliation, healing, and restoration in your life. If you can take anything away from this message this morning, it's this. Come back home, and he will save you, and he will restore you, and he will make you whole, because he is just that good. Well, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but he does. And through me, through Naomi, through the Christmas story, he is saying, I love you. I value you so much so that I'm willing to lay my life down for you. Will you hear the call of God to come home? Mm -hmm.